You know, in Alive, we've been sharing and talking a little bit about the greatest question ever. We've been talking about where we're going. We've been talking about Alive as our group, right, of 18 to 28-year-olds that we meet with on Tuesday nights and really been instilling in them this idea that there's nothing that can hold you back, that if you begin to make up your mind, if you begin to decide to do, if, if you will purpose in your heart to follow, that, that really, truly, the limits are endless. I mean, there's nothing that can hold you back because you're... you're in partnership with the Lord. How many of you wish that when you were 18, 20, 22 years old, you, you were being taught those kind of things and not only taught them, but listening and applying them in your life? You know, I was taught them for a long time, but I didn't apply them till later. So I could have been in a lot better place had I applied them a little earlier in my life. And uh, some people are there already, but, but bless God, some aren't. And, and we've been sharing a little bit, been talking about different things, and one of the, well, the prevalent things is this idea of mentally believing that these things are possible, mentally saying that, you know what, with God all things are possible, that nothing can hold me back. And this, this message today is titled Revolutionary Thoughts for many reasons, I suppose. You know, I've, I've preached before on revolution, and it's time for revolution, and, you know, the pitchforks and the, you know, the fire torches and all those kind of things, but it's this idea of having a new thought. It's not new because the, the things that we think and meditate on are the Word of God and the things that He's speaking into our spirit. So that part's not new. The new part is that I just haven't paid attention before. And that now I'm going to refocus myself and I'm going to take maybe some of these things that God's been sharing with me and I'm going to begin to meditate them. That I'm going to be able to see them visually in my noggin. And if you can begin to see those things visually in your head, you'll begin to accomplish those things in this earth. Because it's the power of God coming into line with you, and you're actually lining up with his vision and the things that he has for you. And I've been looking and watching this YouTube video, and you can go home and check it out. It's called The Human Machine is the name of the video. And, uh, you know, Pete had sent it to me, and, and we shared about it and showed it in a live. And it's about a six-minute video on YouTube. It's David Goggins is his name, D-O-G-G-I-N-S. And it's called The Human Machine. And really the video is about this guy. He's a Navy SEAL, you know, you appreciate this, Austin. He's a Navy SEAL, but he runs what's called ultramarathons. Now, this isn't your normal, you know, run. Pete ran 26.2 miles last week. Crystal ran 13.1, so they did a great job. This guy ran 150 miles in this race. Right. For many of us, that's a good three years, right? I mean, that's a, that's a hey, 150, that's not a bad goal. I could do that before 2020. I can make sure I can get that in. In 33 hours, he ran 150 miles in 33 hours. And the things that he talks about in that particular video as he shares, he talks about the challenges and he talks about the walls that he hits and he talks about the decisions that he has to make over and over and over again. And in the body of Christ, I think many times we want to make one decision. Jesus is the Lord of my life and I receive him and I invite the Holy Spirit to live on the inside of me and we want that to be it. We want that to be the last hurdle, the last wall and we're going to end up on the other side. Well, if you were to die at that moment, that would be the last hurdle and the last wall that you would have to face because you made the right decision, you received him and now you get to go be with Jesus. But the deal is, for most of us, we got a whole lot of living between then and the end. So what do we do in all of those opportunities? I mean, people, there are going to be challenges. That's not a bad confession. There are going to be mountains that you face. There are going to be opportunities to cross a Red Sea somewhere in your life. I mean, they had to go to Pharaoh all of those times, and the plagues had to come, but there came a day when they said, go, take it, leave, and everybody charged out of Egypt. 
hey, that'd be a great time of celebration, right? Amen till you run to the Dead Sea. I mean, how many times did the children of Israel tell the Lord? How many times did they complain, you know? We had it so much better off when we were slaves. At least we knew what that harshness was going to be every day when we woke up. We could deal with that. But this idea that you, basically what they thought, you keep teasing us with all of these good things and then bad things, that's life. And so in your life, you're going to face these situations. This guy begins to talk. The guy in the beginning is hilarious. He's the guy running the race. He goes, hey, you need to get out there and you need to warm up a little bit, get to know the course. You're going to have 10 laps. Is it 10 laps or 15 laps? It's 10 laps of 15 miles. Get to know it. You're going to like some areas on the course. Look, I'm going to hate every area on that course. <laughs> I mean, the first step is going to be, you know, we're not going to like that a lot. You think I'm going to like some of the areas? Wee! It's not like you're, I mean, this is trails up hills, through rivers, through ponds, all day, all night for 33 straight hours. But he said, you come to points and you come to places physically in your body where you think you're done, that's it. That you cannot go on anymore. And many of us have gotten to that place and maybe you've told God that and said, you know what, this is it, I'm not going past, this is as far as I can go. And he said what he's found as he's done this and as he's run these races, he said every time, you know, you get to that point where you think, that's it, I can't make it, I'm done, I'm going to die if I take another step. He said really truthfully, he's found that you've accomplished about 40% of what your physical body is capable of. That there's another 60% out there that you don't even tap into because mentally you've given up. Not physically. I, I, I mean, I've been in those places. I've worked really hard. I'm on my way back down as Elizabeth threw me under the diet bus on Wednesday night if you weren't here. But we, the only time I've jumped off the machine for the most part, is when my mind said, you're done. When I've been strong mentally, my body doesn't have a chance because it can't get away. This thing is telling this body what to do. And if you can get your spirit man in charge and your mind renewed to the Word of God and the things that He's told you and His will for your life, your body laid down as a sacrifice. That's the order that it's supposed to be. If you can do the first two, the last one happens because the last one won't have a voice. The problem is everything else gets out of whack and mentally you're weak and you let go. Oh, very quiet. It's not a nice thing to hear. But really, truly, if you went home and sat and looked in the mirror and were honest with yourself, just like I am, you would say, you know what? I'm weak. Mentally, I'm not strong enough. Mentally, I'm not tough enough to push through. And this guy said, every time you come to a wall, you have to make a decision. Do you go left? Do you go right? Do you go over the wall? Where's the way? How do I get through? What do I do? Or do I just sit down and have lunch? He said, but this happens multiple times, he said, in his race, over and over and over again. But he said, you know what? Once I get past, once I get through that door, once I decide that I'm going on, he said, your mind resets. Now it's not impossible anymore. Now you've made the decision that, you know what, I'm going to go. I'm going to push through. I'm going to go however the opportunity presents itself. I am going through. At that point, then, it doesn't become an obstacle anymore. You're already past the obstacle. If the obstacle, physically in your body, you may feel is there, but it's a mental situation that blocks you from going on. And if you can get past that in your mind in that particular race, then you can get through it with your body. 
And it's an interesting video. Go home and watch it and write down the things that he says because it's, it really applies to our life. And I, I, you know, that was what I was going to share on that and, and, and tell you all the things that he talked about. But where is it in your life where you feel like, that's it, I can't go on another day? I mean, I've been there plenty. You know, to that point where I say, oh, that's it. I, I can't do anymore. To pout and to stay in bed and to kick things around in the house and to be upset, only then to get real with myself and to get real with the Lord and decide, you know what, I, I, I can go on. Now, was it a physical situation? Was it No, it was a mental situation. I had told myself that I can't go on. I have told myself that, you know what, I can't do anything else. I'm already doing everything. I don't want to give that up. Are you kidding? See, I've told myself mentally. I've already prepared myself mentally. My brother's a gigant. Well, he was a gigantic liar. He had the whole thing worked out in his head. He doesn't listen to these CDs very much anyway, so hopefully he doesn't get this one. But anyway, it's on the Internet, though, so hopefully he's, I don't know, do something else. But he, he has stories, you know, like, oh, he still didn't like the match. You know, I mean, that's 20-some years ago. And if, Bill, if you ask him, did you like the match? Nope, didn't like the match. In his head, he's got this whole thing worked up. He's got a whole deal going on up here. And if something in the natural doesn't fit what's up here, what's up here supersedes all that stuff. Now, it's not in a good way, <laughs> but it supersedes everything that's out here. He literally, literally truly believes that he did not cut the screen, that he did not attack Lori's little blow-up animals and stab them all in the neck. <laughs> Even though they all had little slits in them, like right where his little pocket knife was. He was into the Navy SEAL thing and the Rambo thing, and I mean, he was all about it. He, was, he attacked all of her cheerleading animals that were in the house and popped them all. Only to say, wasn't me, man. But see, in his head, I really truly think it. Well, he doesn't believe it was him. <laughs> he believes it was somebody else. In your life, you have to believe that the image that God's told you to have about yourself, the things that God's told you to believe, the things that he said are true about you and your life, you have to believe that those things are real regardless of all the rest. You've been changed. You've been transformed. You are a new creature in Christ. If you look in 2 Corinthians in chapter 5, in verse 4, it says, as you go, verse 14, sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, 14. It, and we usually talk about 517 that says I'm a new creature in Christ. But if you go back just a bit, it says, For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And then 15 says, And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for the who? No longer for themselves. But for who? For Christ, for him, who died for them and rose again. Now this is a revolutionary thought. See, this is a new thought. This is not a new word, but for you it may be a new thought. That it says, no longer will I live for myself, but I will live for him. So you've been bought and paid for at a price, the blood of Jesus Christ as he died on the tree. But your body, your world, your life, it doesn't belong to you anymore. It belongs to who? Him who ransomed you. Now, he's given you all the goods. He's given you all the greats. He's given you all the stuff to live in. He's given you an abundance in your life. But what he asks is that you no longer live just for yourself, but you live for him who died for you and who rose again. And then the next one says in 16, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him that way no longer. 
And then it says we're new creatures in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have been passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And the idea is that that, that revolutionary thought, I mean, it gets quiet, man. Everybody's like, well, I don't want to give all my stuff. <laughs> I got a lot of good stuff. I got fun stuff. Your life will never be more fulfilled if you'll say to God, you know what? I'll do anything you ask me to do. See, we, we, think, that, we think that's like polar opposites. You all right there? Okay. We think those are polar opposites. We think, and we've been misled to believe, right? Remember, deception. We've been misled to believe that if I'll give up everything for the Lord, if I'll give up everything for Christ and live my life for Him and not myself, then I'll be some merry old widow somewhere sitting in a monastery. I am not sitting in some monastery somewhere, and I'm not no merry old widow. I'm having a great time in life. Pastor Bill has the greatest life any man could ever want. He gets to do whatever he wants whenever he wants to do it. I mean, that's great. But he's, it, there's coming a price. His price is he's had to lay down his life. And he's had to say, okay, God, whatever you say, whenever you say, I will go do it, period. See, there, there's a bonus and there's a payoff. But see, he's had to make that decision. I've had to, you've got to make that decision to put on that, that man, that person, in Ephesians in chapter 4. And a little bit of scripture today, but it says, This I say, therefore, and I testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their what? Mind. See, a revolutionary thought. You don't have to try to figure it all out in your mind. Oh, yes, you do have the mind of Christ, and he will enlighten you to all those things. Come on Wednesdays, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But it says, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feelings, have done what? They've given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Come on, that's who the world is today. That's where your children are, and that's why it's so important that we reach out to this generation, to this young group, and let them know that, you know what, that isn't the way it's supposed to be. It's not okay. You need to change your mind. See, what did Hitler do? Give me the mind of a young generation and I can conquer and change the world. The Lord's, and that's important because the, the kids today, they're not being raised that way. Maybe in your household, praise God. But on, in general, as a whole, it's whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. And what we have in this country is what we've bred. If you don't like it, you got no place further to look than maybe your neighborhood. <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe it's not your house. But look at, look at that. I mean, we are in that kind of place in this country where we really need to see God be God. Well, then what do we need to do? We need to change the status quo. We need to change the mind of each generation, but especially that younger generation because they're going to be the future and they're going to be the ones who really, truly usher in, right, the second coming if God would tarry and Jesus not come tomorrow. But if you read this, in, in, it, says, it goes on and it says, and you need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You need to put on the new man. In the Message Bible, it says, and so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there will be no, no going along with the crowd. I mean, that's kind of what this says in the New King James, but this is the message, and so it's a little different. It said, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. 
Now, see, teenagers are prone to this. And Elizabeth and I have shared on this and taught about this. Teenagers, when you're young and you're in, you're in your low teens and you're, you're late, you know, whatever, teens and early 20s, you're, you're, not, you're not physiologically, you're not developed to the point where you can truly make good decisions. Your parents aren't trying to be mean to you if you're younger. Your parents are trying to help you because judgment comes, truly judgment comes, right, with experience. And if you're 13, you don't have any experience. And I would even go so far as to say good and bad decisions don't mean anything to you at the time because you can't relate. You can't, you can't put these two things together. This decision made this kind of outcome. By the Spirit of God, I believe if you're alive unto God and you give yourself over to Him, you begin to feel that because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But physiologically in your brain, you're not to a point where you can do that yet. And so what happens is this whole group, this whole crowd just kind of goes along. How many of you have had young people or were a young people that found yourself down the road somewhere and thought, well, how did I get here? Oh, my gosh, what do I do? We said when your kids call you and you're down, they're down the road or they've gone somewhere and they've made a couple of bad decisions, go get them and love them, correct them, discipline, all those kind of things, yes. But don't leave them hanging out there because they don't know what to do and they're not real sure how they got there. But what they need is the truth and they need somebody to love them in that place and in that instance. Don't push them away. Be glad that they called because they're in a place where they know at that moment they need rescued and they, they called you to rescue them. Anyway, it wasn't in the notes, but it's a parenting moment with me. <laughs> they've refused for so long, it says, to deal with God that they've lost touch, not only with God, but with reality itself. Maybe you've said that. You, know, you don't even know what reality is. It goes on, it says, feeling no pain, they let themselves go in sexual obsession, addicted to every sort of perversion. That looks just like the world today. Since then, it says in, in somewhere in 20 to 24, since then we do not have the excuse of ignorance. See, the church doesn't have an excuse to say, I'm ignorant of the truth. I know the truth. I ignored it. In my house, in my life, in my mind, whatever you want to say, you have been taught. That's what this whole scripture says. Hey, if you are Christ, if you are a new creature, if you've been in here for more than a couple days, you're beginning to get the truth and you know the truth. But I've got to, re I've got to get that truth going. I've got to begin to get a revolutionary thought of what is the truth and to begin to preach and begin to teach and begin to share and begin to love the truth everywhere that I go. But it says, and then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life. See, that's a revolutionary thought. Are you going to take on a new, a whole new outlook on life? See, a transformed mind means a transformed life. What changed you? You know, way back in the beginning, it wasn't the fact that you prayed a prayer, although that did change you spiritually in your life and it made you a new creature. What transformed you from that point to wherever you are today is what you took in here and what you got a revelation of. See, it wasn't, it wasn't just because you got saved and that got you to where you are today. You've lived up to the truth that you believe. So you live up to the truth, the place of where in your mind you've said, this is what's true, this is where I draw the line, and this is what I will do, and this is what I won't. And what happens in your life is you live abundance to that point. What do you need to do to get past that point? What do you need to do from the 40% that says, I can't do it anymore, to get into the 60%? Get a revolutionary thought. A new thought in your life that says, you know what, there's more than where I am right now. Romans 12, 1 and 2, of course, right? says that we're new creatures in Christ in, Romans, or in 2 Corinthians 5.17. In Romans 12, it says, now you continue being a new creature and that you continue to change as you continue to renew your mind to the Word of God. 
says that I live my body, you know, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It goes on, then it says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed, completely changed, metamorphosized. How many of you came home after getting saved and somebody said, dude, you are different. And now they just go, yeah, you're you. See, what happened from, man, I'm different to, yeah, you're just you. You should be, you should be becoming more and more like who? Like Jesus. Be more and more like Christ all the time. It says, transform by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Conformed means you're accommodating yourself to a model or a pattern. You are being conformed to something. What are you thinking about all the time? What's going on in your noggin? Because those things that you're thinking about, those things that you're meditating, Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. There's nothing wrong with you thinking that God made a great human being in you. Because he would agree and he has said that. There's nothing wrong with thinking and believing that God has a great plan for you and a great purpose for you in this earth. That's perfectly acceptable because that's what the Word of God says. He thinks those thoughts about us. He says those things about us. So we need to get a revolutionary idea, a revolutionary thought, and we think that way too. Oh, you think you're all that? Yeah, I do, because God said. Do I make mistakes? Oh, yeah, mine and your share. Do I mess up? Sure, but I understand the word of God, and it says that I can repent, and it says that he still loves me, and that he still cares for me. He's not going to throw me out in the street. He's going to take me in. He's going to teach me. He's going to show me, and I'm going to learn, and I'm not going to make that mistake anymore. But I, I think that way about me. I think that way about my wife, my children. I think that way about you. Because you're everything that God created you to be. I want to see you become who God made you. Regardless of the age, regardless of the situation, and regardless of what you face, what barrier might stand in your way today. Revolutionary, that definition is radically new or innovative. We're talking about revolutionary thoughts, right? It's something that's radically new or innovative. Outside or beyond the established procedure or principle. What is the established procedure and principle? What's the established thought in your head? What is the thing that you always go back to? What is the lie of the enemy that you listen to? See, what is the thought that captivates your mind and takes you in the wrong direction? Because the enemy's not going to change his tactic until you prove that you can't, that you're not going to go there. How do you not go there? Refuse to think that. Stop thinking about it. Stop doing it. You can't change unless you change. You can't continue to do the same thing and expect a different result. It doesn't work that way. That in your thought life, it's the same thing as it is in our physical body, that you're habitually thinking about the same stuff. And until you reverse that, until you fix that, and you get rid of the bad habits and insert the new habits, or you get a revolutionary thought, you begin to focus on that, your life's going to remain the same. But it doesn't have to at all. And you may say, you know what, my life's pretty good. Great, it could be better. I think sometimes in America we like pretty good. The problem is we're so happy with mediocrity that nobody wants to go any further. <laughs> Not going to Medland, sorry, Selma. <laughs> Yikes, apparently I got Selma today. Yes, no. I mean, that, that really is truly the problem. We're so happy with, with average that we don't want to be excellent. Well, why not? 
You know, everything that you look at that's fantastic in the world today was created by someone, is being done by somebody. The body of Christ has all of the bonus. They have all of, I mean, these, come on. I mean, we have the advantage. And if we'll get out of mediocrity and not settle for average. But see, you've got to do that up here. Oh, that's tough, man. I've got to work. Yeah, you do. You bet. I mean, you got to, you know, I mean, you can, you can find a diet. You can do whatever you want. You can pray like I did to lose weight. But until you stop eating what you're eating and you exercise, it ain't going to happen. That stinks, man. That's hard. Yeah, it is. There's no, the whole, the country is in a mess economically because everybody wants an easy way out. There's not an easy way out in here. It says my yoke is easy and my burden is light. True. But you got to stay in the spirit. Let me tell you what, in the flesh, that isn't easy. Because your flesh, your mind, if you let them stray, they will fight your spirit, man, tooth and nail. But if you'll grasp hold of a new thought, a new idea, a new way, a new principle, a new tenet in your life, if you will believe it to be true beyond anything that you see with your eyeballs, if you take that kind of revolutionary thought, it will change who you are. Now, I'm telling you, that's, it's difficult for me. I mean, this whole idea is difficult for me. I am a, hey, that's the way it's always been kind of guy. Corey, man, I'm telling you, I'm about ready to poke him right in the eyeballs. I mean, he's constantly telling me. He makes up this dumb little voice like that Joyce Meyer voice or whatever. What does she say? What about me? What about me? Is that what she does? You know, she does that little robot thing. There are times I just don't talk to him because I know what he's going to say and I don't want to hear it. But he'll say, why? And I'll say, because I always... And then he goes, because it's always been that way. Because it's always been that way. Oh. <laughs> Pow! <laughs> if he's leading in here someday with a big ice bag on his head, it's because he told me, it's always been that way. It's always been that way. <laughs> That's just how he does it. Breaks me down. Doesn't always have to be that way. Now, be led by the Spirit. Don't just do something crazy just because. But if you have a revolutionary thought, that's going to be new to you. Revolutionary, the whole idea, the whole definition says radically new. Now, the Word of God shouldn't be new to us. But us renewing our mind to it and believing it is truth and acting and living it in our life and putting a purpose in our heart to meditate it, that might be new. I'm not saying. I'm just, you know, could be. Daniel. Bless his heart, he's a dreamer. And, and I mean, he, he has plans, and he's focused, and he's determined. And, I mean, he's doing all these things that Pop tried to get my brother and I to do for years. He tried to get us to have lawn mowing companies, and we wanted to tell him that was the dumbest thing ever. Why would I go have a lawn mowing company when I can make $4 an hour over here, work eight hours, and make $32? Why would I ever want to go out and make that in one lawn for 45 minutes? Makes no sense to me. Besides, that's a lot of hard work. You know, it's hot in Oklahoma. Well, finally, he's got somebody in Daniel, you know, who's all about it. And so what I've had to practice in this. I've had to practice having a new thought. I've had to practice in parenting-wise and in partnering-wise with our son to say, come on, buddy, you know what? You can do anything that you have in your heart. I find myself trying to hold him back. I try to tell him why he can't do it. I try to talk him out of a big idea. And I'm not even the one doing the work. He is. 
He is the one that gets up at 5.30 in the morning all summer long and works till 9 o'clock at night. He is the one mowing all the grass and doing all the things and being responsible and taking off. He's the one that does all that. And he comes home to me trying to bring him down. It's a wonder he even lives at my house anymore, you know. Sometimes I'm kind of rough on him. But he wanted to get this big lawnmower. This big lawnmower. And this is, this is why you have to get a radically new thought. Because I see the lawns that he mows. And I know the lawns. You know, a lot of them are like single homes, small homes, small lot, small deal. And he has, a, he has a lawnmower, and this was his selling point. I can mow eight and a half acres an hour. I said, that's great. You're mowing about a quarter of an acre. That's all there's there. You're just going to mow the whole neighborhood? What are you going to do? Plus, I got on it to drive it and like to kill myself. It goes 11 miles an hour. That doesn't sound like really fast, but when you're sitting in that thing and it turns at the drop of a... I mean, all of a sudden, I am going... It's embarrassing, isn't it? I mean, Lori watched me last night. He just bites his... I'm always telling him, hey, let me get on, let me drive it. And he's like, no. No. This is... Hey, buddy, I signed the papers. I can drive it. You know, that's me. I can drive it. Make sure Pete knows we're insured. Because <laughs> Pastor John's not good at it. But see, I had to get a whole new idea because I'm telling him, why do you need that? You mow all these little lawns. He said, Dad, I, I, I don't want to always mow little lawns. I'm, gonna, I'm preparing to mow big lawns. Amen. See, I'm preparing to mow big things. And I said, well, in two years you're going to graduate and you're going to go be an engineer. What are you going to do then? With this big lawnmower, I'm going to have somebody else use it, and I'm going to get money from them and pay them to do it. And I'm like, God, you're smart. Why didn't I think of that? Nobody told me about that. I mean, he went as far, Pastor Bill went as far as to leave like little notes and like, hey, check out this article on this kid that drives in a limousine because he's too young to drive, and he's got like 5,000 lawns that everybody else is doing all the work. Sure. Whatever. It works, apparently. Because now he's buzzing along in this... Just, it's extremely expensive. I mean, it, it's extremely expensive. And, and, but he has a vision. See, he has, he has, a, he has a revolutionary thought that, that I had to begin to open myself up to. And there's something in your life that you've got to begin to open yourself up to as well. See, Isaiah 55, it says, right? My ways are not your ways, the Lord says. And my what? Thoughts are not your thoughts. Because his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. I'm amazed. I mean, he doesn't do everything right. Daniel makes some mistakes here and there. But he is a fantastic young man. And one thing that when I was with Terry Henshaw, you know, I've, I've traveled all over the world with this guy, and he runs Victory's missions department. He, he's all over the place, and he does everything. And I, I've got to grow up a little bit. I mean, I'm much older than his children, but I've got to see them grow up. And the one thing that he has promoted in them, the one thing that really just, if you're not careful, it'll freak you out as a parent. They're, they're phenomenal dreamers. Terry is himself, but his kids they don't have some kind of thought that tells them that something can't be done. If they have it in their heart and they know that God's put it in there, then they know from that moment on all they've got to do is focus on that, begin to speak to that thing, begin to share what that is, begin to... See, they just go after that vision that God's put in their heart. They know what the Word of God says, they know what He's spoken to them, and then they begin to go that direction. And I said, Terry, what's Daniel up to? And he goes, oh, you're not going to believe it. 
he's got this, this fantastic, he went to, he graduated from uh, Victory and then ORU, I think, and then went to International Business School or something in England, and he's come back, and he's got this idea, restaurants in the sky. He's telling me all about this, and I'm going, what? <laughs> yeah, man, these big tables, and they're going to be hoisted up on a crane, you eat all this stuff in the sky, and you're all strapped in like an amusement ride and all these kind of things, and I, I went away thinking, wow, whatever. But then I stopped for a moment. I said, ooh, hold on. If that's what God's told him, if that's what God's put in his heart, who am I to be the person that's going to throw a bucket of water on that thought? Who am I that's going to put a bucket of water on that fire that's on the inside of him? Praise God. So the next couple of times I've seen him, I go, Daniel, what's up, buddy? Let's eat in the air. What are we doing? I mean, I'm open now. See, I'm open to whatever God's speaking to you. I want to be with you. I don't want to be set back, but I want to be with you. I want to go with that. Because I trust that kid. I trust that he hears from God. He's, that's like his first thing. It's not just like somebody saying something crazy. I mean, he really has that in his heart. His older brother wanted to be a rock star. Didn't at the beginning. He frustrated his dad because he never wanted to work. He'd always do great jobs, make $5,000, and then not work for six months. His idea was, hey, i got enough to last. Why don't I need to work? <laughs> that irritated his dad because he's a driver. And so, uh, but, but he wanted to play. He, wanted to, he had a girlfriend that was in the band. And, and or you, he wanted to go on a trip. And so, so he... <laughs> He, t- he, he told the guy, man, what kind of instrument do you need? The guy said, I need a bass player. He goes, I play the bass. The guy said, well, that's amazing. Come back in a couple days here. We'll have a learner. He didn't play the bass. He didn't even own a bass. A little bit like Matt. I mean, he just, you know, he just like went out and bought a bass and just went boom, 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 Figured out how to do it and then went in and did it. And then he, now he's a rock band. He's a rock star. He plays in some band called Safety Suit. Don't ask me. It's out there. It's a bunch of Christian guys, but then they're doing weird stuff. But, but he's traveling all over the country now. Album's out, you know, he's doing his thing. He's a rock star, looks like a rock star. But all that came from just this, see, you've got to be a dreamer. You've got to have a dreamer mentality. And you have to have some of these thoughts. And I'm not going to get, of course, nearly anywhere near the rest of that outline. But, but you have to be... <laughs> Is that news? Is that news to anybody? But you have to... I always have... God gives me like two-part, three-part, four-part sermons. And the problem is i got like 20 minutes to get them all in. So just get what you can out of it. But it says, tenacious or timid? Are you tenacious or timid? And, and we'll scan through here in Acts just a little bit because, see, this is the power of the Holy Spirit, and this is what the power of the Holy Spirit does in your life. You can't ignore that. There's something about the church being relevant to the people who live in today's society. That's true. But you can't be relevant without the power of the Holy Spirit or you're useless. Because it's the power of the Holy Spirit that's the thing that breaks the yoke, breaks the bondage, and opens up the prison doors. It's the power of the Spirit that leads you, guides you, and directs you in your daily life. If you're just introducing people to some relevant church and something, that's not going to get anybody anywhere. It's going to be like the seed that's scattered by the wayside, right? It kind of raises up a little bit, but in the heat of the day, it all withers out and dies. Why? Because there's no good ground, there's no Holy Spirit, there's no life. And when you're tenacious like they were in Acts, see, in Acts in chapter 2, they were waiting for the Holy Spirit because Jesus said, wait. They were going about their business. They were all in one accord. The Holy Spirit blows in the room, blows the doors off. The place goes nuts. Peter gets up and he goes downstairs. Everybody thinks they're drunk because they're all talking in the Spirit. Nobody can understand what's going on. Oh, my goodness, they're all just drunk. It's early in the morning. Well, that could have been any of you at one time, too, probably. But in this case, it was the disciples. And he went down. And what did he do? All of a sudden, he became tenacious. He wasn't timid Peter who, who denied Christ three times. He all of a sudden what rose up on the inside, a revolutionary thought. Holy cow, let's go. This is God. I'm sure his heart was beating a little bit, and he stood up there, and he began to proclaim that this is what you read, right, in the book of Joel. And he begins to go down, and he begins to be, you know, he's fired up. He wasn't timid. He was following 
what God had put in his heart. He was being led by the unction of the Holy Spirit, which he just received in that room in that time. And he was a different person, and he had a new idea. And he began to tell everybody about it. And as he did, I'm sure people were just like, whoa. But if you read all the way through chapter 2 and you get to the end of that, it says the words that he spoke cut to the heart of the people who were there. And they cried out, what do we have to do? What do we have to do? And he said, repent. And see, way back in the beginning it said, right, in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 5, that you live this life not for yourself, but for who? Christ, him who gave his life for us. These guys were the closest to Jesus that there ever was at that time in that particular place because they'd spent all that time physically with him. They knew the things that he taught. They knew who he was about. They knew the things of the Lord. They knew the word that was there for that time, the old, the old law. And now they were getting ready, and they're the ones who would what? They started all this. See, that's a revolutionary thought. They wrote the New Testament. See, they went up and down the streets healing the sick. Nobody had healed the sick really before like they did because what, Jesus was only with them for that period of time. Now, now they've they got all the power in the world. It's all revolutionary. Now they can do, man, they're like out there just touching people and saving people and thousands are coming to the kingdom. They're, they're developing, the, they're doing all these kind of things. See, that's a new thought. That's a new idea. And then what happens, just like it does in the natural, just like it does to us today, and in the church many times I think we persecute ourselves more than we're persecuted. We want to take persecution to tell us we're not supposed to do something instead of just opening up a trap and saying it. But it, it, they said in, in chapter 3, you know, they, the guy by the gate, they said, yeah, you know, and, and, you know, what we have, you know, we give you and get up and walk. And, you know, he's, woo, he's, he's up and walking. And then the people in charge began to think, hold on a minute, we can't have that going on. Because, because they're, they're talking about Jesus and this, I, I don't know what to do. So what they do, they put him in jail. And then they told him. Hey, you can come out, it'll all be okay, but you can't talk about Jesus anymore. Basically, I mean, if you read the story, that's, that's kind of what went down. Now, for many of us, again, stress. Be led by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Don't do anything heinous. But in that particular moment, their revolutionary thought was leading them one direction, to share and proclaim the power of Jesus Christ in his resurrection and by the power of the Holy Spirit that he has given them. I mean, that's their revolutionary thought, man, and that's where God's leading them, and that's where he's taking them, and just like we are today, that's our, that's our deal, right? We're going to live our, our lives not for ourselves, but for him who loved us and he gave his life for us. And so they're in that place, and so they told him, hey, tell you what, you can kind of do your own thing, do whatever you want, but you can't talk about Jesus. There's more to come. You know, we're going we're gonna to bring down the heavy hand. You know, I mean, this is, you know, you're going to lose everything, but we're going to, you know, they had the power to do all kinds of stuff. But they said in verse 29 of, of chapter 4, Now, Lord, look on their hearts and grant your servants that with all boldness that they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, the whole place was shaken. They said, you know what, that's fine, we understand where you are. But we're going to speak his name with more boldness than ever before. We're going to proclaim his works with more boldness than ever before. That you can't stop us from living that way, and you can't stop us from proclaiming the name of Jesus. And even, those, even the leaders said, you know, they were with him. 
You know, I mean, they saw him and they got this guy who's walking who didn't used to walk. And so they kind of, they're faced with like, well, it's real, but, you know, we still want to hush it up. And, you know, our, our, our country, our, you know, we, we've been in a place many times where that's been the case. And, and it's, it's, it's time to have a new thought, a new idea that says, you know what? Not what's going to happen to me if I say something. Not what's going to happen in my life or how much work it's going to be or what kind of trouble I might get into. What if I don't say something? See, what if I don't live this thought? What if I truly say, you know what, Christ, this life that I live is for you, not unto myself, but for you. And regardless of what's going on, I don't care what happens to me. Pete sent me another thing. Apparently not much going on in your insurance office. Your dad's not here, so it's all right. It's good to go. Mom's here, though. Right. Sorry. But, Debbie, this is good. This is spirit-led, so it's all right. Just tell Sam that God will bring in the cash somehow. <laughs> but Pete's been discussing, and we've been talking and sharing a little bit about passion and about desire and about some things, you know. And, and Pete has a heart for young people, and he has a heart for this generation. And, and you know, we're working together with, you know, with Crystal and, and Elizabeth and I and, and the young adults and, and doing some things. And he's been trying to share with me his heart. And, uh, you know, he's been going through some things and trying to, you know, how many times have you tried to share your heart or your vision or what's in there and you're not real sure how to make those things come out. And so uh, it's been great, and, and really he's a wonderful guy. And he sent me this email, and it was, it was from a speech that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. did in Memphis on April 3rd of 1968. It was the day before he was killed. And uh, it's the I've been to the mountaintop speech. And, uh, you know, I don't know what, you know, what brought that across his path or, or what he saw. But as I read through that speech, that you know, I mean, I sent it and printed it out. And as I began to, to read through that speech, this is a guy, okay, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he, he was a guy who cared more about justice and the right way and the revolutionary thought than what might happen to him. Hey, death threats, rocks through windows, people, hey, tell you what. And you know what he preached? He preached, you got to live that way too. This isn't just a one-man show. And if you go through and you read the speeches, and especially if you read this speech, he tells everybody, hey, 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 we've all got to get to that place. He shares as he goes. He says, now let me say, as I move to my conclusion. Actually, that's not where I wanted to. Yeah, it is. And this is as he was concluding his speech. He said that, 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 that we've got to give ourselves to this struggle until the end. And as I read this, I mean, this was about a sanitation situation where they were being terribly, I mean, they were just being used and abused, and, and he was standing up. I mean, it, there was a lot going on in the country at that time. But as I read this, I, I, if you got rid of the 1968 things, even some of them still, but it's to, this is today. And the world, this country is in need of somebody to stand up and say, you know what, I've got a revolutionary thought. But it says nothing would be more tragic than to stop at this point in Memphis. We've got to see it through. And when we have our march, it said, you need to be there. Be concerned about your brother. You may not be on strike, but either we go up together or we go down together. And he said, let us develop a kind of dangerous unselfishness. What did it say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? That I'm not going to live my life for myself, but I'm going to live it for Christ in what He has for me. 
And then he goes on and he shares the story, and it's in your notes, about the Good Samaritan. And he said, what was the deal? What was the thing that made this guy stop? Why does the church want to continue to kind of go its way and not look out for the person that's on the side of the road? What is it about the believers and the people who make up the church and the body of Christ who will walk on by and say, you know what, I really got to get to church. I'm going to tell 15 people at my home group that they need to go out and help these people. I mean, this is basically, you know, the, the story of the Good Samaritan. And he said his take on that story from the church's perspective. But he said this guy who got off his animal, who got off his horse and his, his beast, his, his donkey, and he went over there and he helped the guy. It said that he had the capacity to project the I into the thou. We think thou shalt, not I shalt. See, we read this particular message, the Good Samaritan. That is a radical thought that you're going to delay what you're doing, that you're going to lay down the things that might be important for you at that moment in your life to focus on somebody else. He said it, was impo- it, could, have been, he said it could, could be possible that these guys were afraid. He's been to this road, and he said it's as curvy and as down, steep, dangerous. People could be all over the place. He said there could have been a fear. He said there could have been a fear that said, if I stop to help this man, what's going to happen to me? How many of you have been in those places and you're going down the alley and there's somebody you think, man, if I stop, I don't, man, I don't. No, I'm not telling you to go out and do that. Be led by the Spirit. If God says so, do it. How many times though has God said so and you used, I'm scared to death, I'm not going to do it? Or you know what, it'd be better for me in my life if I just kind of, you know, God sends somebody his way. It's dangerous over there. Hey, dude, if you're doing what God told you to do, it's the most safe place to be in the world. If you're not doing it, you better look both ways. If God told you to stop, you better look both ways because you might be about drunk. You think you're trying to be safe. That might, that's the worst place to be if you're out of God's will. And he said, to change our thinking. He said, but the good Samaritan came by, and then he reversed the question. He said, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? What will happen to him? See, that's the revolutionary thought that I want you to focus on today. That idea of, if I don't step out in what God tells me to do, if I don't rise up and be a voice, if I don't speak out against, if I don't stand for what I know in my heart is true and what God's told me to do, what will happen to them? John 4 says, but it's not four months till the harvest. You know, they looked out and they saw the harvest and it was becoming ripe, you know, the fields. And he said, well, people would say there's about four months and then there'll be harvest time. And he told his disciples what? Today, right now, it's harvest time. And I would say that to you as well. In this church, in the body of Christ, in this country, in this world, it's harvest time. As I've watched these young people, Billy Joe's kids, over these last few months since he's passed, and it hasn't really dawned on me until he, he passed, until I started really paying attention, you know, to, as God was showing me some things. I, I, I saw something in them that was, it sparked a real kind of sparked a little fire on the inside of me. All of a sudden, it became like a revolutionary thought. It became brand new. Man, they're just laying their life down for the kingdom. They literally, truly are just giving their life to follow after Christ. Do what God wanted them to do and help somebody. That's it. Just help somebody. Just help this person today. Just help that person. Whoever God brings across their path, they just help. They don't give a thought to themselves. They don't give a thought to their stuff. They don't give a thought to their car. They don't give a thought to the house. They don't give a thought to the clothes. What did it say in Matthew chapter 6? Don't think about those things. Don't worry about them. 
You know what? They all got clothes. They all got cars. They all got a house. They all got good kids. Well, you know, there's two of them anyway. You know, the two little ones, they're cute. It's the Caleb and Sarah. You know, they're all good people. They're doing great things. God's blessing them abundantly. They get to go on vacation. They, their life is, is, is all over the place. Doing what, but you know what they've done? They've got a revolutionary thought. It's about the harvest field. It's about harvest time, and it's about people. And just like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s vision with this speech, what if you changed it and said, not, not what would happen to me if I, not what would happen to me if I spoke that or I did that, but what would happen if I, what happened if I didn't? You want to stand up today? I want to ask you that. Because it says, it goes on and he says, let us rise up tonight with a greater readiness. Let us stand with a greater determination and let us move in these powerful days. These days of challenge to make America what it ought to be. That, that could be written today. That doesn't have to be a long time ago. That doesn't have to be this particular situation. That could be, that could be where we are today. And, and I, be, I, you know what? I am just, I guess, in the natural, naive enough to believe that we can really truly make a difference. I, I, and and you, you may or may not, you know, be with me on that. But I, I, I would just as soon turn the whole world upside down for Jesus. This country's in trouble. The why, when, what, and hows, I don't know. The real, true, like, one answer, I don't know. But you know what? Each and every one of us have the answer. Jesus Christ living on the inside of us. The power of the Holy Spirit alive to speak not just His written word, but His manifest revelation to us at that moment in time. But then we, we have to all face this choice and this same decision. And, and, you know, I'm at times a bit of a cheerleader. You know, I... I wave the flag and I, I, I try to charge you up. And, but I believe in you. You know, just like Martin Luther King Jr. said, hey, this is a cause, this is right, and we all need to be together on this, and we all need to go down there. And he said, don't worry about losing your job. Don't worry about what happened to your family. Don't worry about what happened to your kids. He said, justice. See, justice is worth the price that you have to pay. And in your life, I'll tell you, it says in the Word of God, it says, who will follow me? Jesus was speaking. He said, who will follow me? Who will give up mother, house, all those things? Who will give it all up and follow me? Who I will not repay in heaven. But he said, you'll have enough in abundance when? In this age, right now where you are, if you'll do that. I think we all have a vision of what we would like to see. See, we all have that revolutionary thought. I don't think it's brand new. I just think you might have to get it out of a drawer.